Amen. Our New Testament reading is from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. In your pew Bibles, that starts on page 224 of the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning of verse 23. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Well, I'm back. <laughs> Yay. Yeah, I tell you, I was a little nervous um, heading down to Colombia. Um, I have never been to South America, and a lot of people kept telling me horror stories about Colombia, um, which is always a great thing to do when somebody's about to travel in a <laughs> direction, right? Oh, oh, don't take a taxi, don't do this, don't do that. Yeah, so um, the only, I mean, the main scary thing for me was changing flights. Once I landed in Bogota, I had to take a plane to Bucaramanga. And uh, my significant other, Sophia, said, oh, don't worry, people, everybody speaks English in Bogota. <laughs> no, they don't. So, excuse me, um, flight to Bucaramanga? Huh? What? So I, um, so I got a little nervous, but I finally got through everything. And uh, got there, and everything was good, and had a great time. And I'll tell lots of stories um, throughout the weeks to come, I'm sure. Um, you'll get sick of them. Um, but it was kind of interesting for me, because that was the longest vacation uh, I have taken. Um, I've not taken a three-week vacation in, um, as long as I can remember. So um, that was great. Uh, I certainly enjoyed the people and culture of Colombia. They're wonderful. Um, they're kind, they're hospitable, they enjoy life, they enjoy family, um, they spend a lot of time in, together in warm company. Um, most of the time I spent in the area of Bucaramanga, which is kind of a mountainous area, so it was kind of interesting. It's 3,000 feet above um, sea level, cooler. Um, one of the things I learned very quickly, now see, I'm already telling stories about Colombia. Um, when I went to take a shower, for the first time in Colombia, and I went to turn on the hot water, the handle didn't move, and I was kind of like, ah, wow. And I kind of started to work it hard, um, and, and then I got nervous, so got dressed and went back out and said, um, Sophia, I'm a little nervous, I'm gonna break your hot water handle because it's not moving, and she goes, oh, we don't have hot water here. <laughs> I was, what? <laughs> so we don't do hot water here. I'm like, really? Um, so I took a lot of cold showers in Colombia, which is probably good since I'm dating a Colombian woman. But um, uh, yeah, and I actually, I decided, and we actually went down to Cartagena, which is a Caribbean town. It's a 10-hour drive. It took us 12 hours the first time and then 10 hours on the way home. Um, and uh, that's on the Caribbean, and that's hot, and it's wet, it's sticky. You walk out the door and you're sweating. I mean, it's, and they would say, okay, we're going on a tour. 
And I was like, okay, great. Let's, when, when do we leave? Four. Four? Yeah, no, no, nobody does anything in the middle of the day here. Oh, okay. So, um, so we did some really fun things, and I'll tell more stories about that. But they didn't have hot water either. It was, but it was warmer because it, because it was a warmer climate. But in Bucaramanga, where you're 3,000 feet up and it's mountain water, that water was cold. Um, so, anyway. Um, I'm glad to be back with you. It was interesting. I watched the news. Every morning I watched the evening news from the evening before on my little cell phone um, just to keep up with the United States. Some tough things going on in the United States, right? Some really difficult times. Um, some of those shootings uh, were very, very troubling. Um, and I, it's such a complex thing. Why is the United States so violent? Um, it's just a complex issue. There's not an easy answer to that. Um, and I really struggle with people will say, well, we got to stop doing this or gun control or all these things. But it's just much more complex than that. It, it takes a lot, um, and we need to kind of figure that out. But one thing that I've noticed about almost every single person who has been involved in a shooting is that they're loners. They're alone. Um, they're kind of isolated. And uh, it's kind of interesting because as I was preparing for this morning um, and the idea of community is really prominent with this series that we're doing, um, I realized, wow, how important is this in the life of our community, not just our church community, but our community beyond the walls of this building. So we step back into this series that we're doing, Growing Young. What does it mean to become more uh, focused on young people around us um, and embracing young adults in uh, our culture and in our community? Um, in July, we spoke about unlocking shared leadership and kind of passing the keys down to the next generation. Uh, we also talked about the importance of empathy and empathizing with uh, young adults and not just kind of, you know, I have a solution to fix your problem, but actually experiencing how they're feeling. Um, and then we also talked about the importance of, of taking the gospel seriously, not just kind of turning it into this ice cream cone. Oh, yeah, here, Jesus loves you. And, but to actually talk about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, so today we focus on my sermon title, Warm is the New Cool. And um, it's kind of a cornerstone for a lot of young people. And frankly, it's just a cornerstone for the church since the dawn of time. <laughs> community. What does community look like? What does community mean? It's a core value for young adults. Um, you see, life isn't like it was 100 years ago. Can I get an amen? Amen. Right? It's different. We don't have families that stay together. We don't have communities that pretty much know each other. Um, people don't show up to church and go, I know everybody. I mean, we all know each other, but it's just different than it was 100 years ago. And we have to recognize that there is a void in our culture now um, that young people are longing for. They're longing for that connection with other people. Um, they're longing for families. A lot of families have been um, 
are not the way they used to be. Mom staying at home, dad going to work, uh, kids always having mom there and dad coming home. Um, it's just not the way it used to be. And friendships are not the way that they used to be either. Communication's not the way it used to be. I mean, I remember when I was young, I'd go out and hang out with my friends, and we'd talk, and we'd wander around, and we'd hike around. My mom would go, just be home by 5 o'clock. She didn't know where I was. She didn't have a cell phone. She didn't call me up. Hey, where are you? I was, and this is, I lived in the hills, so we would disappear for hours. And I'm sure a lot of you had that kind of same uh, background. I mean, I'm grateful for modern technology. I can video chat with my girlfriend down in Columbia now. Uh, every night we video chat, and that's great. But um, it's tough to actually be present with people and to be in community with people. Um, and I think young adults long for that. I think uh, they're so busy on their cell phones that they long for interaction face-to-face. -face. Um, so I want to talk about life shared. Life shared. It's not just um, being nice to each other. That's, we're all nice. I think most um, churches believe we're super nice. I mean, don't you, I mean, wouldn't you say, yeah, we're, we're a friendly bunch of people. We're the friendliest church around, right? In a two-block radius, we're the friendliest church <laughs> around. But every church says that. But what this talks about is a much deeper level of sharedness. I don't know if that's a word, but um, I, it is now. Um, so it, it means spending time together and doing things together and eating meals together and being together, um, being present together. My daughter, many of you know, uh, she just graduated from high school last June. Um, she really struggled because, as many of you know, she had a condition called idiopathic intracranial hypertension. Everybody repeat it? Okay. Um, also known as pseudotumor cerebri or cerebri, depending on what doctor you talk to. And um, that just means a high pressure on the brain, uh, constant. And um, when she was a sophomore in high school, she thought, I'm going to Stanford. Um, and then through her junior and senior year, she just really struggled. and missed a lot of school. It wasn't that she wasn't intelligent. She's super intelligent. She was in the International Baccalaureate program, which is a step above the GATE program. But she just missed so much school, she almost didn't graduate. It's this close. And um, one of the things that kept her anchored through it all was that she was involved in the choir at school. And I know I'm a music guy, I was a choir director for years, I did youth choirs, I'm like, yeah, music, music. It's not about the music. It was about the community. And every time I would see a performance and the music director would say, we have a motto in this group. And he would start, everything we do, and the choir would bounce back, we do together. So I'm going to say it. Everything we do, we do together. Yeah. That meant no matter what, not just music, but everything, we do together. And that's the kind of community that we 
should go for here at church. Um, when people are going through a rough patch, we should do it together. Not just, oh, I'll pray for you. Um, the authors of this book that we're using, Growing Young, um, they, they asked a lot of young people, what do you say about your church, of churches that were growing and healthy and getting new members all the time? What are some of the things that are important? What, how would you describe your church? Here's some of the words they used. Welcoming, accepting, belonging, authentic, hospitable, caring. Uh, one, one student said, at my church, if you've been there one or two weeks, people walk up to you and say, hey, we're really glad you're here. When was the last time you had a home-cooked meal? Well, I want to invite you over to my house this evening. And people in the church would literally invite young people to their homes for a home-cooked meal. And this guy said, and so we go out and tell our friends, hey, you want a home-cooked meal? Go to this church. They'll provide you a home-cooked meal on Sunday nights. And the church just kind of made a pact to do that, and all of a sudden, it started growing. Interesting, isn't it? Here's an interesting thing. They asked kids um, to describe their church kids. I'm not supposed to say that, sorry. Um, they asked young people to describe their church. Of the leaders, only 12 of them, 12% mentioned doctrinal belief, creeds. What the church believes is important to me. They didn't, they didn't talk about it. Only 3% of young people who were not leaders mentioned creeds. Uh, only 25% mentioned worship at all. Only 12% talked about the music. Only 9% mentioned the worship style. I like the worship style. But one in three mentioned warmth. The warmth of the community was important to them. So when we talk about warmth, we're not just talking about being nicer. Uh, because shared life can get messy, right? When you share life with other people, it can get messy. Um, the, that fake nice is almost worse than not being nice because people are like, oh, hi. It's like a salesman at the car dealership. They're being nice to you because they want to make the sale. And that's how young people feel when people are fake nice to them at a church. Oh, they're just trying to get me to stay here. So it's, it's practicing that ancient biblical practice of hospitality. It's welcoming the stranger, but rather than thinking of the stranger as being a person from a foreign country, um, think of the stranger being a young person and feeling different and feeling awkward and not feeling like they belong anywhere and feeling unaccepted and maybe bullied at school. And suddenly they come to a church where people welcome them and accept them and encourage them and give them the support that they need. It's interesting, this Ecclesiastes passage that we read. Um, let me jump to it real quick here. 
Ecclesiastes 4, um, that we read together from the bulletin, but the verses ahead of it are interesting to me. Um, From verse 7, Solomon writes, again, I saw vanity under the sun, the case of solitary individuals, without sons or brothers, yet there is no end to all their toil, and their eyes are never satisfied with riches. For whom am I toiling, they ask, and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and unhappy business. That solitariness, feeling like you're spinning your wheels. Why? Why am I working so hard? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Young people feel like they're spinning their wheels sometimes. Then Solomon goes on, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift the other up. When you're all alone and you fall, you have to pick your own self up. But woe to one who is alone and falls and does not have another to help. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though one might prevail against another, two will withstand one. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Now, I know we read that at weddings all the time, it's, and we like to train it on husbands and wives and how important it is to be together in partnership with that. But Solomon doesn't talk about it in that term. He's just talking about friendship and the importance of not being isolated. And of course, Solomon had 300 wives and 700 concubines, so he was covered. Um, so <laughs> I always got to throw in silly things like that. Um, Christine Pohl writes this, in hospitality, the stranger is welcomed into a safe, personal, and comfortable place, a place of respect and acceptance and friendship. Even if only briefly, the stranger is included in a life-giving and life-sustaining network of relationships. Think about that for young, awkward people going through a tough time. Such welcome involves attentive listening and a mutual sharing of lives and stories. It requires an openness of heart, a willingness to make one's life visible to others, and a generosity of time and resources. A generosity of time and resources. It's inviting people in and saying, you belong here. And it can get messy, can be uncomfortable, it can take us out of our comfort zones, When one person is going through something, the church family goes through it with that person. It's not just, I'll say a prayer for you and then forgetting about it. It's actually showing up and helping. If somebody's sick, bringing meals to their house, um, going over and mowing the lawn for somebody, or cleaning the house for somebody, It's sitting down with them and maybe reading with them. It's showing up. It's walking through the valley with people. Uh, One church that the people of this, the authors of this book uh, spoke to said that they made a pact. We will be there for teenagers and young adults no matter what without judging or criticizing. They made this pact. 
Now, imagine if the people who were involved in these shootings these last few weeks had had a community like that in their earlier lives. It would have changed who they became, right? So there's three steps that a church can take. One is mentoring, and I think that's one of the greatest things you can do. Is if you identify a young person, a young adult, um, or young adults, if you identify an older person that you really respect and want to emulate, connecting with that person and saying, hey, can we meet once a week? Can we have coffee once a week? Can we uh, just share lives together? No agenda, nothing, just spending time together. Um, Secondly, intergenerational worship. We're working on that here. That doesn't mean just, okay, we're going to keep everything the same and invite other generations to come. It means that they participate in it, they act in it, they work in the development of it, they, we choose music that they, or they choose music, and we say, okay, we're going to do that. It's all part of that. Um, not just tokenism, but actually incorporating into. And then shared discipleship. This was an interesting one. One of the comments they made was that there was one church that they spoke to that said, we're going to work towards discipleship. And so older um, people who have been Christians for many years said, I'm going to meet with this person and disciple them. I'm going to go through this discipleship workbook. There's lots out there. Um, and and we're gonna, I'm going to help them grow in their faith. And what was interesting was the, the older person came back saying, I grew in my faith. The young people did too, but... The older person said, gosh, you know, this is stuff I'd kind of forgotten about or maybe some of stuff that I had never learned before myself. This is fascinating. And so they grew in their faith too. So be thinking about these things. Who might I connect with, to mentor with, or to disciple? How can I help with this intergenerational worship? How can, most important thing is not get grumpy if things don't go the way you want them to in worship, but to say, okay, this is something that speaks to these people. Um, and then discuss. So if you go to lunch today or invite somebody else out to lunch, ask, ask yourself this question. On the warmth scale, where do you see First Presbyterian Church Santa Ana? On the warmth scale. Is it icy cold? Is it cool? Is it room temperature? Or is it fireside warmth? So kind of figure out where we are on the scale. And then what can you do personally to increase the warmth scale here at First Presbyterian Church? What's a step that you can take personally in your individual life to do that? Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you that you've called us to be in community. Um, as that passage in Hebrews says, encouraging one another to continue to gather together um, as some have abandoned doing. In our society and in our culture, we recognize that more and more people are uh, no longer going to church on Sunday mornings. They're no longer going to worship. Lord, help us to encourage each other to recognize the importance of church family. But not only that, to emulate church family here, to really welcome people in and share life together to walk alongside of each other. When people are going through difficult times, help us to know how we might walk alongside of those people. And when we're going through difficult times, help us to be open to invite people into our lives 
to walk alongside of us during those times as well. Lord, uh, continue to guide us, continue to help us to become a warmer, more welcoming, more hospitable church family. We pray this in your name. Amen.